Yes, marriage. Really, one message on marriage? I'm going to try. It would be easier, I think, to do a message on quantum physics uh, than to do one message on the universe that is marriage. So as I begin, I want you to view this as yet another part of a teaching ministry here at our church dealing with marriage. We have spoken on marriage many times. Uh, there are many of those are available online, so we can't say everything there is about marriage. But just to highlight one particular aspect today, although uh, a very, very important one. So why do we, why speak on marriage? Because the Bible holds up marriage and calls the church to protect marriage. Hebrews 13 says, let marriage be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. And so here at Bethel Church, we believe in marriage. We believe in marriage because the, the Bible believes in marriage, and the Bible establishes the context for marriage and the meaning and the purpose of marriage and holds marriage very, very highly. Now, with that, I want to say we also hold singleness highly. Um, the Bible establishes singleness as a very itself a gift, and I can speak into that uniquely. I was single for 44 years. I didn't get married till I was 44 years old, and I, I look at all those years as wasted. No, I'm joking. Why? Because those years, I highly value all those years, and God did some wonderful things in my life and through me in those years, but then now to be married these years, I highly value them as well, and I just think that's the way that we need to look at it, and uh, and to not make the, the mistake of, of overemphasizing either one of those, but to see both of them as a gift. Here's the difference, though, between marriage and singleness. In our culture, marriage is being deconstructed uh, in a way that singleness is not. I mean, biblical marriage is clearly under a kind of cultural attack where key components and aspects that make up marriage are being redefined and compromised and, and young people encouraged to think in different ways. I mean, just the fact, if you, if you weren't here at the beginning of the service, we shared that um, our elders are putting forward some amendments to our Constitution that our legal team is urging us to do, uh, having to do with just answering the question, what is a man? What is a woman? Uh, what is uh, gender? And who gets to use what bathroom? I mean, churches 50 years ago would have been shocked that, you know, in a church you would have to have in your constitution a bathroom policy, but that's the world that we live in. And so along with that deconstruction, there is then the collateral damage to just basic institutions like marriage and family. And so therefore, the church, if there was ever a time that the church needs to be teaching on this, it's now. And if there was ever a time where in the Christian homes, uh, especially with children, we need to be talking with them about what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl and how the Bible highlights that and values that and why it's so important, it certainly is the day that we live in today. So as you likely know, if you've been coming to our church, for the last year we have been working our way through the book of Romans. And uh, in this book we have the, the deepest dive, the clearest and, and, and uh, most significant explanation of the gospel, of how God saves sinners from their sins. 
And today what I want to do with you is to talk about marriage in that context. And what I'm basically going to say is this, is that there are two concepts primarily in the gospel that have to be applied to your marriage, our marriages, faithfully for them to be successful. And that if you are a Christian and if your spouse is a Christian, that we have the capacity to apply the gospel to the most intimate relationship on the planet, the relationship between a husband and wife, and that this is key. So along with union with Christ, I would say that the two keys are justification and sanctification. In fact, I've named the sermon today, The Justified Marriage, The Justified Marriage. Now you say, wait a second, I thought these were, you know, concepts for how God saved me, and indeed they are, but what I'm saying today is that they are also truths that, if faithful applied, might save and will save your marriage as well. So with that said, let's start off by talking about what is the purpose of marriage. If you were to ask, uh, you know, uh, an engaged couple, you know, what do you uh, you know, what are you thinking about as you get married? Why do you want to get married? You'll get lots of answers, things like this. He's amazing. She completes me. Sex, companionship. Uh, my parents expect me to. Things like that. Maybe the desire to have children. So lots of sort of things out there for reasons why people want to get married, and along with that, a kind of understanding of what marriage is for, what is the purpose of marriage. And this is where I think the Bible has a shocking truth. I'll just call it a shocking truth. If you read, the, the clearest teaching of the purpose and God's plan for marriage is in Ephesians 5, and I don't have time to read all of it, but you read what Paul is talking about there, and he says, he's talking about husbands, that they are to love and to lead their spouse, and uh, wives are to respect and submit to their husband. And you're reading through all of this, and you're like, okay, this is teaching about marriage. And then you get to verse 31, and this is what Paul says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There he's quoting from Genesis 2, where God establishes marriage. And then he says this, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. <laughs> what? I, I thought this was a section on marriage, and Paul says it's actually a section explaining the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Here's what he means, that marriage is a reflection of something else. It is, by God's design, a reflection of of the relationship between Jesus and the church. That one is the reflection, one is the reality. And understanding which is which could save your marriage. What do I mean by that? Marriage is the moon. Jesus and the church is the sun. One is the reality, one's the reflection. And approaching my marriage on a daily basis with a fundamental understanding that this marriage, if it's going to be successful, is going to follow the paradigm of the reality, which is Jesus in the church. Tips me off, in terms as a husband, how I'm supposed to relate to my wife. And as a wife, how I'm supposed to relate to my husband. Because the husband is taking his cue from Jesus in that paradigm, and the wife is taking her cue from the church in the paradigm. 
how Jesus loves and leads the church, how the church loves and respects and submits to Jesus, that that is the basis by which marriage is the reflection. I saw a post online that said this, marriage is like a walk in the park, Jurassic Park. <laughs> Struck me as funny too. Uh, and so maybe for that reason, I got thinking about a scene from the original Jurassic Park, which has now been like 25 years. I don't know how long, it's a long time ago, but the original Jurassic Park where, uh, if, if you remember, there was a scene where there were the children and they're in the kitchen and the velociraptors are trying to eat them and they're trying, the kids are trying to get away from them. And there's one particular scene, and this is where Spielberg is just like the master of this kind of thing, where the girl is in one of the cabinets and she's trying to bring down the top, you know, to protect her from the velociraptor. And the velociraptor sees her and accelerates towards her with his mouth open. And you think, oh no, the velociraptor is going to eat the girl. Only to find out that he smashes into kitchen cabinetry that is reflecting the little girl who's on the other side trying to bring the door down. And she gets out and the velociraptor is sort of just, you know, confused and off they go. And so anyway, here's what I'm saying today. When it comes to your marriage, don't be a velociraptor. Feel free to post that on Facebook. Today's sermon, don't be a velociraptor. Don't mistake the reflection for the reality. Your marriage is not, does not exist for its own sake. It is by God's design gifted to mankind to reflect something that is more glorious, something that is greater, that creates the paradigm upon which a biblical marriage functions and a way that a husband and a wife relate to one another. Marriage is temporary. Jesus said that. There are no married couples in heaven. It is a temporary picture of an enduring reality based upon Jesus and the church. And so what I'm saying today is that marriage the success of a marriage depends upon the degree to which that husband and wife are intentionally building their marriage and relating to one another upon the paradigm of Jesus and the church, or another way to say that, upon the paradigm of the gospel itself. So I could have entitled this message the gospel-centered marriage or the gospel-based marriage, but I'm calling it the justified marriage because we're preaching through Romans, <laughs> and it ties in. And indeed, this aspect of the gospel, in particular, provides a basis for every marriage here to thrive, for every marriage here to get unstuck from the resentment and the bitterness or whatever thing that has kept you in a spot that you cannot get past, you can't get over it, and your marriage is just stuck. And some of us have been there like, for like a decade. How do we ever get past this? What I'm sharing with you today, properly applied by the power of the Holy Spirit, can get your marriage going again. But it goes back to the gospel and it goes back to understanding justification. So let's just remind ourselves what is justification? Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, Paul writes this But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, there are many messages on justification that we've done this year. They're available on the website. I'm just going to do a very quick summary to remind us what is justification. Here's what it is. Justification is God's eternal decree over the sinner, declaring the sinner to be righteous based upon Jesus' work on the cross, dying for the guilt of that sin. Enabling God to be just and justifier. Enabling God to now declare the sinner righteous. We're not righteous, we're sinners. But God declares us to be righteous, gives to us the very righteousness of Jesus, and promises to treat us as if we were and are as righteous as Jesus forever. It is an eternal degree, uh, decree by God. It, justification is this wonderful, glorious truth. Luther said it's the, it's the singular thing that the gospel rises and falls upon. If you are a Christian here today, you have experienced this. Even though you maybe didn't know it, you didn't know that word, you are under the grace of God because God has justified you. He has declared you righteous. Okay? It's a wonderful, wonderful, glorious truth. If you're a Christian, you love it. Love it. Praise God for his justifying grace in our life. All of this is by his initiative. This is known as grace, okay? His grace. It is undeserved. We are not entitled to the love of God. We are not entitled to the forgiveness of God. It is all his initiative. The only thing we contribute in salvation is our sin. All the blessing comes from God by his grace. That's why the song says it's amazing. Amazing grace of God. So justification is undeserved righteousness, undeserved love, undeserved grace, and the undeserved promise of grace towards our sin forever. Might we say it this way? God promises to love us For, i got to get this right, better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And death won't part us from his love because he will love us forever. That's the amazing love and grace of God. It is the basis of justification. It is the reality, as we think about marriage, it is the reality that marriage is the reflection. It is the sun Marriage is the moon. And Paul says that marriage, by God's design, is built upon a basic paradigm of relationship between Jesus and the church. So with that said, how then should a marriage reflect justification? Well, let's start with a biblical understanding of who you are married to. If you're married today... Who did you marry, actually? What does justification tell us about our spouse? 
Well, to see if there's any confusion here, wives, how many of you think that you are married to the husbandly equivalent of Jesus? I see no hands. <laughs> wives, what are you saying? That you're not married to the perfect moral man? Husbands, who are you married to? Cinder, oh, sinner, okay. <laughs> Is she Cinderella? <laughs> I didn't even think about that till this moment. You married Cinderella with an S. I say this because I want us to begin thinking biblically about our spouse. And for that spouse to th start thinking biblically about you. Who are we actually married to? Justification comes along and says... That my, tells me this, that I am a sinner married to a sinner. All married couples, would you repeat that with me right now? I am a sinner married to a sinner. Any engaged couples here? Do we have any engaged couples? One down here. Oh, one down here. Okay. Listen up. We all, at one time, were where you are. And I got to say, it's awesome. Like, I look back at my life and sort of that stage of, with Jennifer, of dating and, and engagement and preparing for marriage, one of the sweetest, most wonderful times of my entire life. I would happily go back to it again. It was intoxicating. It was wonderful. But I want you to hear me when I say this. You and you right down here <laughs> the wonderful person with whom you are seated right now falls under Romans 3:23's assessment right all are sinners there is none righteous now marriage and falling in love tries to convince us that we have met the singular person in all of human history that is not that. That somehow we have lucked out and found one person who, you know, the second virgin birth sort of perfect person is the one I'm engaged to. That wasn't in the notes. I don't know if that was heresy. Forgive me if it was. But I, <laughs> I want you to realize, and for all of us really to realize, what the Bible says about everybody applies to the person I'm married to, and to myself as well. Essentially prideful, selfish, disinclined towards things that actually would be helpful in marriage, like dying to self, forgiveness, etc. The gospel is not that God sent Jesus to die for basically good people who sometimes make bad choices or sometimes, you know, aren't great spouses. That God sent Jesus into the, this world to die for sinners. And that includes me, and that includes the person that I am married to. And I think too many Christian marriages celebrate the gospel in church, and then when we get home and we see sinfulness in our spouse, we're like, what? No, the Bible, we're like, we're like Christians at church and atheists at home. Right? The Bible says, I am married to a sinner. 
She did not, he did not earn their way to heaven because they're so righteous. They are unrighteous. So the illusion of near perfection, marriage quickly takes that away. In fact, many couples have significant fights on their honeymoon. Don't raise your hand right now. The sheen of like this person being the source of my happiness doesn't last very long in marriage. And the married people said, okay. Very quickly that can change. And all of a sudden there is conflict. Like right away, conflict. And it's so easy for us to think to ourselves, who did I marry? I thought you were this, but I find out that you're that. And the Bible is trying to say, they're that, they're that, they're that. They will always be that, and so will you. So here's, what I, here's my point. All Christians should approach marriage with stark biblical realism. So I wonder, basically what I'm saying is this, and and I would have you do this, but uh, these days, you know, some of you are on your phone for your Bible instead of on an actual Bible. But if you had a Bible, just to, to take your Bible and to look at your spouse like this. Say, hi, honey. I've never quite seen you the way that I do right now. Because looking through this, I'm seeing that you have not earned your way to heaven. That you also are a sinner. I'm married to a sinner. I found that so helpful in marriage to moments of unhappiness, to just say to myself quietly out of her hearing, <laughs> I am a sinner married to a sinner. Rinse, repeat, I am a sinner married to a sinner. It explains everything. It explains my failure as a husband. It explains her failure as a wife. It explains the dynamic that's going on here that is not the way that we think it will be or that we want it to be. It explains everything. What else could I expect? Marrying a sinner. Now, here's some good news, okay? You're like, man, that's sort of negative. Well... <laughs> We have to start with the bad news before we get to the good news. And here's the good news with justification. Is that justification comes along and God grants me undeserved, unentitled grace and love and forgiveness. And justification comes along and what it means is, is that I am forgiven by God far worse offenses than anything my spouse could ever do to me. What God has forgiven me is way worse than whatever I'm struggling with applying grace to in my spouse. Justification is the basis for God's forgiveness of our sins. Jesus' righteous death on our behalf allows God to declare sinners righteous and to forgive our sins. So to be a Christian means that we've experienced overwhelming forgiveness, right? With me? Okay. So a justified marriage, therefore, is really good at forgiving. 
Now, there's all kinds of biblical basis for this and admonitions just to give you two. Here's Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So what is the basis of the tender-heartedness and the forgiveness of others, specifically my spouse, as God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus? In fact, I would submit to you, the more I understand and appreciate and, and am in awe of God's grace to me, the greater my capacity to forgive people the offenses that they do against me, including my spouse. Here's Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. How did Christ accept me? Did I, did I have to become, you know, more perfect? Did I have to somehow up my game in the righteousness category in order for Christ to accept me? No. He loved me while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so when I understand that this grace from God is an unearned grace, now in marriage, I got my spouse who's doing this and doing that, this I like, this I don't. Saying this, saying that, this I like, this I don't. And we pick up all these little, uh, something from annoyance to major conflicts and everything in between. How do I handle that? How do I ever live in this relationship? It has to do with forgiving. This last summer, Jennifer and I went on a tour with uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Any of you know that name? Longtime pastor of Moody Church who, by the way, is preaching here the first Sunday in June. Looking forward to that. Uh, but uh, So we're on the tour bus, and we had time, you know, driving around, and people started asking them questions. Now, he and his wife, Rebecca, they've been married for like a 1,000 years, okay? So somebody in the bus asked the question, hey, Lutzers, what is the key to a happy marriage, a successful marriage? And his wife, Rebecca, takes the microphone and she says, you know, from all these years of being married, I just have to say, I think the number one key is being really good at forgiving each other. Being really good at forgiving each other. Really? That's like the most important thing? More important than financial stability? More important than sexual prowess? More, a more important character quality than anything else? Good at forgiving? You know, I talk with people a lot. I, I rarely, if ever... Well, let me backtrack. So I, I, I talk with people. Like this, these couple engaged couples or people getting married or whatever. Single people interested in getting married. What are you looking for? You ask a single person what they're looking for in a spouse, and you're going to get all kinds of things, like attractive, funny, drives a truck, you know, something like that. In all my years, I have never heard somebody say, the number one thing I'm looking for is somebody who's good at forgiving. Somebody who's good at forgiving. And yet think about what that one quality implies about that person. This is somebody who loves the gospel enough, who understands the grace of God to them enough that they are willing to absorb, that's what to, to be the forgive e requires, to absorb the offense that has been done against me. I love this so much that I can absorb it on the horizontal level. 
What a wonderful person to be married to. Somebody who's really good at forgiving. What a wonderful spouse to be. And again, where does this virtue come from? Like, is there a pill we give you on the way out? Is there, you know, do I have to take some seminar? No, it comes from the gospel. It comes from, as Ephesians 4 says, me understanding how God has forgiven me and applying that not just to my neighbor or my coworker, but the person I share the bed with. The closest neighbor in my whole life is my spouse. So husband, actually one, one quick thing, just another illustration of this. Jesus tells a parable in, in Matthew 18. Many of you know this, this parable about the guy who owes the king a billion dollars, like an unpayable amount of money. And he goes to the king in the throne room and he says, king, give me time, I'll try to pay it back. And the king says, you know what, I'm just going to forgive the debt. What? <laughs> that guy goes walking out. And as soon as he gets out of the throne room, he sees a guy that borrowed money for a Happy Meal last week. And he goes to him, he says, give me my money. And the guy says, I don't got it, give me time. And he starts choking him, give me my money. Well, the servants hear this, and they tell the king, and the king drags the guy back, and he says, listen, I forgave you the trillion or billion dollar debt, and you couldn't forgive the $10 debt? Lock him up in jail. What's the point of that? The point is, our debt to God is the billion-dollar debt that God, by his grace, has just freely forgiven us for, wiped it away. And now we live our life with people that all the time accumulating these little $10 offenses and personal conflicts and little slights and different things, sometimes bigger than that. How do I have the capacity to apply grace to the sinner that I'm living with I have it because I understand the billion dollars that God has forgiven me. And if, there is a, if, if you are stuck in your marriage and there's just like this conflict and you can't go anywhere, you're frozen. I don't know all the details, but I can tell you this. Somebody has forgotten what God has forgiven them. And that is a basis for us as spouses to be gracious towards one another, reminding myself, I married a sinner, I'm a sinner, and yet God has forgiven me. And now I'm going to apply the same kind of unearned, undeserved grace. And maybe, you know, maybe you're like, man, we have fought about this. I'm not going to give on this. Like if I give on this, I have a sense of justice like the world isn't just anymore. If I give on this, I can't do it. Can you give it to your spouse as a gift? Can you just give it as a gift? Say, you know what, I don't agree. You know, we, we agree to disagree, but I'm just going to give this to you as a gift. Try that. Try that. Like salvation is a gift. Husband, can I ask, are you good at forgiving? Are you able to move on from conflict? Wife, what would your husband say, listing your top five qualities? Is forgiveness in the top five somewhere? Like, are you good at that? And if not, can I ask pastorally, why not? Because Christians, of all people in the world, should be good at forgiveness. Like, this is a quality. We, you know, we may not mow our yards right, and, you know, sometimes the, the gutters are loose or whatever, but our homes should be good at forgiving. If anything, anybody should be good at forgiving, we should be good at forgiving. And if we're not good at forgiving, it means we're actually good at damaging vices in our marriage, like resentment, 
and holding a grudge and keeping score and a host of other things that end up undermining our own happiness in our marriage. Have you forgotten how God justified you? In fact, married couples, think with me a second. If you're, if you're both Christians, think about this with me for a moment. If you're in an unhappy marriage and you're stuck and it's been painful for a long time, think with me for a moment. Someday in the near future, you're going to die and your spouse is going to die. And both of you, you're not married in heaven, but you're both going to heaven. You get to heaven and there in heaven you see the glory of God. You have that beatific vision of the pulsating, pure holiness of God. You will see Jesus, and you will likely touch Jesus. How many of us, if I could, if I could touch anywhere on Jesus, I'm going for the scar, right? To touch his scars, to look into his eyes, to see the Son of God. Maybe in heaven we get a glimpse of hell, and to realize that's what I deserved. And from that place of seeing God to realize in a way that I never have before how much God forgave me. Now think of that, think of yourselves or this couple, imaginary couple, turning to one another after seeing this and saying, we wasted our marriage and we wasted it on things that we could have forgiven each other. Married couple, are you wasting your marriage? Are you wasting these years? When God, by his design, has created a capacity for you to apply the gospel towards each other and to have a, as humanly successful and happy a marriage as possible. The gospel provides that. I think Christian people, Christian marriages should be the best marriages. Christian sex should be the best sex. Christian daily living, albeit sinners, right? We acknowledge that. But sinners living with grace towards one another. Think of that couple. Do you want to be that couple? I don't want to be that couple. And how do we not be that couple? We apply the gospel. We forgive. Okay? Forgiveness is just me giving up my right to hold this against you. And just being like, give it to God. Give it to her as a gift. And move on. And move on. You know, one of the things about marriage, and you married very engaged couples, listen now. You haven't been listening up to this point, but listen now. You're, you're all going, we're the exception to what he's talking about. Marriage is nakedness on so many levels. When you're engaged, there's a certain aspect of the nakedness that's exciting. But it's nakedness on all kinds of levels. There's no hiding in marriage. That's like one of my discoveries. Like, when you're single, you can have you know, certain things about yourself that you sort of hold to your own or whatever. Not even sinful things, just aspects of yourself. But in marriage, there is no hiding anything. Like, you just can't hide. There's no emotional, you're, you're emotionally naked, you're spiritually naked, you're naked naked, all that. <laughs> there is no hiding who you are with your spouse. And in marriage, if there is conflict, 
you go to bed with the source of the conflict every night. You're like a foot or two away from the conflict. And in the midst of that, you think, this is a very bad thing. And you start thinking about, was it I Love Lucy or whatever, separate beds, separate bedrooms. You're like, that was a good idea. It's not a good idea. Because marriage forces our noses into our problems and into our failures. And it forces us to deal with them and to change. And this is a good thing. All right, I have... uh, lingered a little long on that, so I need to quickly go to the second part of what I want to talk about today. So what I'm saying in the justified marriage is that marriage is based upon God's righteous grace towards me applied to one another. Justification. Secondly, sanctification. We've learned in Romans about sanctification. Here's sanctification. It basically means change, okay? Change. And I bring this up because I want to, I want to encourage us today Because there are some people here, you're no doubt thinking to yourself, well, I hope my spouse is listening right now, but she probably isn't. Or she's sitting there thinking about things I need to change when she should be focusing on the things that she should be changing. And if she changed those things, then our marriage would be better. Again, do not raise your hands. uh, Acknowledging that. Along comes sanctification. And sanctification is the biblical doctrine that as a Christian... It is God's will to conform me and my attitudes and actions to the very likeness of Jesus Christ, okay? That the Holy Spirit is working within me constantly to change me. It's like the, uh, the quote that uh, Tim Keller shared about, you know, my wife's been married to five different men and each of them was me. What is he saying with that? That marriage changes us, but the Holy Spirit and the gospel and my Christian life changes me as well. And this is our encouragement in the midst of a marriage where we think this person is going to be this way forever. Not if they're a Christian. Not if they're a Christian. I have hope. Where's my hope come from? Is the tomb empty or not? Like sometimes in marital conflict, you you sort of go to those basic things. Is there a God? You know, like if there's a God, hear me right now. Won't you please? We need help. Is the tomb empty or not? Was Jesus resurrected from the dead? Is he at the right hand of God the Father? Marriage will take you into those places where you wonder about whether or not all of this is true. It is true. The grave is empty. Jesus is at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And because of that, we have encouragement in our marriage. Sanctification. Again, right now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, I hope God does change her. I hope God does change him. And I would submit to you today that in this point, there is only one spouse in your marriage that you have direct influence upon changing, and it's you. It's you. I find that in my own marriage. Like, if I just focus on things I think she needs to change in, then it doesn't go anywhere. But when I look inwardly and I think, how can I change? How can I become? How can I you know, conform, transform. Now things can improve. And we want that. This last Monday, Carolee had her first ballet class. She's five, okay? 
and we gave it to her for Christmas, and she, she was so excited. Like three days after Christmas, she woke, came into our bedroom at 2 a.m., woke us up, and she said, how many days till my ballet class? We're like, get back to bed. It's tap now because you did that. And so she had it this past Monday was her first class. I thought about showing a picture so cute, like her little ballet outfit and all this stuff. My heart was like puddle, 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 you know. So we go to the class, and I think she was not only one of the youngest, but I think maybe the only new girl that Monday. And uh, we go in there, and there's a lot of, like, older girls, big girls, like second graders. (laughs) And, you know, they're so agile, and they're so you know, tall, and they're so pink, and, you know, Kiralee was just like in awe of the second grade ballet girls, and she just, in her heart, thought, what? I want to be like them. Friend, who do you want to be like? Because sanctification is the heart's desire of the Christian to become like Christ. I want to change, and if you're here today as a husband or wife, and you're like, I ain't changing, okay? You are out of the will of God, and I call you sincerely to repent. You cannot honestly pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because it is God's will that all of us change, that a year from now we're a better spouse, we're a better husband and wife. We're different than we are now. God's, we're works in progress. Like, we're not always going to be this way, and we want that. We want that. And friend, I'll just tell you this, if your happiness in your marriage is dependent on your spouse changing and becoming the husband or wife that you think that you deserve or that she should be or what of that, you're only going to be disappointed. There is one spouse that you have direct influence on and it's you. And I would encourage you to focus on yourself and your own failures, my own failures, our failures, and to submit our lives to God and to say, God, sanctify me, help me become the husband that I should be. Think about my own failures, not hers, mine. Change my attitude. Help me treat her differently. And that is a justified marriage. I understand that God's working in my life. And so I just, I don't care how stuck you feel in your marriage today. If the tomb is empty, there is hope. There is hope because there is a supernatural thing going on in this world by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And may it begin with me. Now, as I talk here, we got you know lots of people here in the service, and I got to believe there's husbands and wives here. You're sort of scoffing as I talk, and I mentioned this before, but I just want to emphasize this: you're scoffing as I talk. She'll never change. It'll all be this way. Blah blah blah. And maybe you're blowing me off right now. But this is one of those messages and truths where you're going to go get in the car and you're going to go to your house, and your marriage. Who suffers by blowing off biblical truth? We do. Ignore this at your own peril. Your life, your daily experience of joy, so connected to the quality and the success of your marriage. And I'm just trying to tell you biblical truth here today. The justified marriage. Listen to what Paul Tripp says about this. When the shadow of the cross hangs over our marriage, we live and relate differently. 
We are no longer afraid to look at ourselves. We're no longer surprised by our sin. We no longer have to work to present ourselves as righteous. We say goodbye to finger-pointing and self-excusing. We abandon our record of wrongs. We settle issues quickly. And we do all these things because we know that everything we need to confess has already been forgiven. And what is needed now for every new step we will take has already been supplied. We can live in the liberating light of humility and honesty, a needy and tender sinner living with a needy and tender sinner, no longer defensive and no longer afraid, together growing nearer to the one as we grow to be more like him. Now, who wouldn't want a marriage like that? And I say amen to that. I, like, I mean, I, I submit my own marriage to Jennifer to this truth. As I stand here before you, I am, a, I, am, I am flawed and I am failed as a husband. I am a sinner. I want that. I want to change. Do you enough to do something about it?